uh, to Blitzscaling, a startup. Uh, I'm Julian Newman, and Chris, I'm trying to make this more shorter in our introduction, so I'll skip all the stuff. I'll just say, I'm Julian Newman. I'll let you say, I'm Chris Yeh. Mm -hmm. I'm Chris Yeh. There we go. That'll be our introduction now. <laughs> That's fast. I, like, I, I, I try to like notice what other people do that I like um, on other podcasts, and I've gotten so fed up with these long introductions. I think it's because people have been doing them for too long. Fair enough. Well, let's go ahead and get straight to the content. What do we want to give them today? Okay, so we're discussing, Chris, kind of two things that entrepreneurs need to do when they're building their business. And it's kind of like two pieces of advice from people that I know you respect a lot um, and that seemingly are contradictory, but you know, I, I want to discuss the, the pull between them. It's really like discovering the product versus discovering the, the distribution. So, so what yeah. I'll do just for the audience is read uh, this email that I sent to you, um, which by the way, Chris, the emails I sent to you mm -hmm. are now available to our Patreon subscribers even before you see them. That's great. That's good because usually it takes me a while to get to emails anyway. So they're yeah. really getting a leg up. Yeah. So because uh, I finally like scheduled them to, to you like a day ahead. I always I usually write all my emails ahead of time. I take a screenshot. And I schedule it to you. I put it into our Patreon for our patrons. Um, so if anyone is watching this and they want to uh, become a patron um, and, you know, see the, the emails that I sent to Chris before Chris sees them, so extremely elite, uh, it's patreon.com slash blitzscaling. So, All right. Uh, Read more, away. Uh, Let's do it. There. So, so the first kind of like quote um, is from Mike Maples, and it's uh, a conversation with Sarah Leary, I think that's her name, who's a founder mm -hmm. of Nextdoor. Nextdoor, yeah. I think you know her, or at least Reed was involved in her business. Yeah, I don't, I don't know Sarah uh, personally. I think I've met her once, but uh, you know, certainly she did a good job of cleaning things up at Nextdoor. Yeah, I also, I met her once too. I, uh, uh, she's, she's like a consumer investor, but uh, I met her she connected me to her um, B2B colleagues. Okay, so, um, right. So, so the, the general idea is that you want to hack uh, value before you start growing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the formula that Mike Maples puts out is like, one, figure out what I can uniquely do that people are desperate for. Two, identify focus group of customers that desperately need your solution. And three, iterate and improve your value proposition relentlessly until you see signs uh, of exponential organic growth. A key lesson getting this right is that you hack uh, value um, and you should you know, resist the urge to sell. You're trying to learn, blah, blah, blah. So, okay. so that's kind of like one perspective, mm -hmm. which is, hey, start by hacking value. Right then try to grow, okay? And then the other perspective is from, uh, you know, Reed, and you've probably heard him say this often, which is really just like distribution, distribution, distribution. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll read the 
the line here. It says the rule for uh, consumer internet and a general rule for most businesses is while the entrepreneurial instinct is to build the product, then figure out the distribution, you should figure out product and distribution together. So right, there, there, there's a pull between them or you, you could even argue if you're not trying to kind of actually understand that they're contradictory. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'll let you kind of engage with them um, uh, before I ask you other questions. Perfect. So, of course, we're talking about two of the legends of our industry and very wise folks. And it should come as no surprise that both of them are correct and that there's some nuance here that makes them seem contradictory, but in fact, they are not. So let's tackle Reed's point first, because I think that that will make it easier to explain. Reed's point is that building the product first and then trying to figure out if you could ever actually build distribution for it is backwards. It takes a long time to build product. And if you build a product that can never have sufficient distribution to be successful, you've just wasted all that time. So why build something that you can never actually sell? It just doesn't make sense. And so Reed's point is you should be figuring both out at once. And the strong bias of founders is to focus on product first. And so Reed's trying to counteract that strong bias. Now, why is it that these two things are not contradictory because Reed is saying, don't just focus on product, focus on distribution. And meanwhile, Mike Maples is saying, get the product right first and then figure out how to grow. And the answer is the following. So if we think about distribution, the value of distribution remains pretty linear. So the better your distribution gets, the better it is for your company because the better your distribution gets, the faster you can grow, the more inexpensively you can grow, the more you can trigger blitzscaling dynamics by achieving a market leadership position in a winner-take-most market. And in fact, growing twice as fast at the same level of efficiency or growing with twice the efficiency is twice as good, just bottom line. And so as a result, there is no limit to the value of improving distribution. However, when it comes to your product, your customer can only buy it once. And the amount they're willing to pay is likely not going to change that much, even if you keep adding value. Right? So if you came up with an absolutely amazing online streaming service, you still couldn't get people to pay more than 20 bucks for it because that's what they're used to paying for online streaming services. And so when it comes to the product, your product has to be good enough. But it essentially is the case that the value of the product is more discontinuous. Instead of a straight line upwards like distribution, it'll be bumping along because until it gets vastly superior to the existing products, it doesn't matter. Then it'll suddenly rise, but then it'll just taper off again. So it's more of a step function or S-curve than the straight linear path of distribution. So that's where the confusion comes in because in various points along that path, specifically beforehand, beforehand, It doesn't matter. If you haven't got a product that's good enough, it doesn't matter how good your distribution is. It doesn't matter how much time you've worked on the product. It's useless. You have to get to the point where the product is in fact becoming useful. And it's at that point that, you know, the distribution can start to really come into play. But because you don't know that you'll be able to get to that point, because it takes a long time to get to that point, you should be thinking about distribution up front to make sure that even before you build the product, you're building a product that can be distributed if it's good enough. I feel as if there is a component here to, that, that I'd like to like suss out, which mm-hmm. is 
between like the conceptual, like conceptual versus execution. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I think part of it is you should figure out how you will distribute it, but you shouldn't necessarily go ahead and do the distribution. That's correct. And then you should build and you should actually execute on the building. So, so there's a, an, an element, and, and I'll let you kind of like unpack yeah. this, but it's like an element of, of kind of like conceptual figuring out versus execution. That's right. So let's talk about that. And I think your point about conceptual figuring out is a good way of putting it. Another way of putting it would be experimentation versus production. So let's take a classic bit of startup advice, which is, hey, why don't you go ahead and run an advertising campaign with a landing page to gauge the demand for your product? That's a classic example of exploring distribution, figuring out if, in fact, paid advertising could be a good distribution mechanism for you. And you can't actually know until you've gone all the way to actually converting them into customers. But what you can do is you could say, oh, when we run these campaigns, we can usually get a click through and sign up for about $10 or $20 or $50. And then you can assume some conversion rate and decide, okay, does this make sense or not? So that's a great example of an experiment. But you don't know from that experiment that you can just easily scale it up to a thousand times its size and grow to a hundred million in revenue. That's all a bunch of stuff you have to figure out along the way. That's execution. But running the experiment up front, it's not that a successful experiment guarantees success, but it's that a failed experiment guarantees failure. Yeah. So, and then another. Um... Yeah, another kind of like example of this is like you and I were looking at this potential business idea that I uh, had jotted down. Um, and really what I did for the audience is that I wrote down a business plan or investment thesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a week and a half to, to do it, a little bit of market research. And then I discussed it with you, Chris, and where uh, what, what we ended up aligning on was like hey it's actually going to be really hard to do the distribution um and we're able to figure that out before building correct um and even though it would have been a really compelling product if you can't distribute it it doesn't matter so so there's an element of that too right Yes, precisely. That's the whole point of Reed's advice. Make sure that there is a viable path to success. And that's not just on the product side. That's on the business side. It's on the distribution side. It's on the monetization side. If there's no viable path to success, why bother starting down the path? And in your case, I think that the amount of work you put in was appropriate. You said you spent about a week and a half really fleshing out the idea. Because if you just had a three-word description or a one-sentence description would I be able to dig into it and say, well, I don't know if the distribution will work? Probably not. You had to go through that level of detail. But on the other hand, a week and a half is not the same thing as spending six months and half a million dollars building a product. It's really interesting. I've been speaking to a few other founders. Um, People just like reach out to me and whatever. Um, Now I start routing them to our Patreon. Um, Ah. uh, Remember patreon.com slash Blitz scaling. Um, but because uh, what I'm doing, Chris, the uh, value on our Patreon is I'm doing quarterly calls with the group of patrons. Nice. Um, so we're doing a one hour Zoom 
with me. So if you want to spend an hour with me once a quarter, uh, patreon.com slash blitzscale. So um, well, why, don't we, why don't we add a higher tier where I will come on with them for once a quarter as well. See if we can get some more money out of these folks. The advice from Patreon is I have one tier okay. when you start. Um, How much do we charge people simple. for this? Five bucks a month. Five bucks a month. We should consider whether or not adding me to that one quarterly call would in fact, because it's one to many, it doesn't matter how many patients we yeah. bring in, whether that might attract a few more people in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, as you know, we were just discussing this. One of our goals is to make this higher ROI for you. So I'm, uh, I I'm wary of using any of your time, but if you're open to it, I'll, uh, I'll, um, we can connect about it. We, I think we should experiment with that. And, you know, again, that's something we can discuss offline, but I think it makes sense. Again, if you look at, if you look at, you know, ways to access me, if you don't have a way to access me, there's places like MentorCam where I am because I wanted to experiment with the product. We're looking at investing in the company and people book time with me and they pay like real money. They could subscribe to our Patreon for two years for the amount they pay to yeah. like, talk with me for 20 minutes. So, you know, maybe the Patreon will be very appealing to folks. Also, what I've been, another value that I've been experimenting with is I give people LinkedIn recommendations when they become our patrons. Hmm. That so. I'm not, well, that was, that's more time. I'm not willing yeah. to do that. Well, you're, you're too cool. Like LinkedIn recommendations from you actually mean something. Um, Have I made a LinkedIn recommendation for you? Do, no. Should I? Should I do no. one? I think I have enough Chris Yeh okay. um, on my profile anyway. Very good. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm all, uh, I, I mean, I think it'd be helpful, but it's it probably at this point wouldn't uh, add a lot. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, if something wouldn't add, we don't have to do it. So, right. So when Reed says, figure out the distribution, right? Yeah. He means think about, how you will distribute this conceptually before you build anything. Right. So, and so let me give you an example with LinkedIn. So with LinkedIn, the thought was, well, people will want to bring their friends onto the network. And then the question was, what is the tool we can use to bring those friends onto the network? And ultimately the execution of that was the address book importer that could use your Outlook address book and send messages to everyone in your Outlook address book. And that was one of Reed's innovations for LinkedIn. Now, I don't think Reed would necessarily have to say, okay, let's build it, let's test it, let's make sure it's good. I think that just starting off and saying, okay, did some feasibility studies and it looks like we can do it. Okay, let's, we believe therefore there's a way to do distribution, let's figure out the product. Right. So that's it. You want to kind of like conceptually have a working theory. Um, you want to kind of like gauge the risk of that stuff. So it's like, hey, do I think it's reasonable that I'll be able to distribute it in this way? I don't know exactly yeah. what, but I, I, I think I'll be able to figure it out. Or are you not that sure? If you're not that sure, then you want to do some experimentation, that type of stuff. So you want to actually yeah. what you're doing is you're de-risking upfront the distribution and then going on at, while you de-risk the product, but de-risking the product requires a lot more execution. Absolutely. It's very hard to de-risk the product, although there's other ways to de-risk the product. I always tell people, for example, to create you know, low resolution prototypes. 
And in the old days, it would be, you know, sketch it on a piece of paper if you have to. Nowadays, it would probably be Figma. But whatever the case is, go ahead, create a low-resolution prototype. Put it in front of people. See how they react. That's a lot faster to draw something than it is to build it. And then, so there's like a specific word that Mike Maples uses, which is, you know, hack value, right? So hack the, the, the product. And before hacking distribution, essentially. Right. And, and I think what he's saying is you want to figure out shortcuts to create value for your customers before you try to acquire a bunch of customers. Because anyways, if you acquire those customers and there's no value, they're just going to churn. Right. So you like the way that you actually go about things is you kind of like de-risk like, will I be able to distribute this? Once right. you feel like, yeah, I think I can, you might want to continue learning a bit, but mostly you want to be like hacking the value until you figure out the value. Then you hack the distribution. Then you make both sustainable or, or right. repeatable. And I think it's a ping pong approach. So the first thing is, okay, do I believe that there is a problem I can solve? Yes. Okay. Next, can I conceive of a product that would have value solving this problem? for a particular audience. Okay, great. For that particular audience, can I come up with a distribution scheme that I think will be effective? Don't have to execute it, just have to know it's possible. Okay, great. Now I go back to the product side and say, okay, now that I've figured that out, let me dive deeper into the product and understand the details around what are the specific things we need to have in order for people to actually want this product. And then let me actually build it and test it. And as we're building it and testing it, oh, we're getting close to having this ready. Okay, let's go back to the distribution side and let's really think about how we're going to implement our initial campaigns and get this flywheel going. And so there's not just one phase of product and then a phase of distribution. It's a ping-ponging back and forth as you are basically trying to achieve the milestones of demonstrating feasibility for each next stage. So it's a multi-stage process, a multi-step process that ping-pongs back and forth. There's a framework you gave me, which might, now that I'm like, when I hear you talking about this, it kind of like reminds me of this framework, which is kind of like think of things as like risks. And then there's like, it's worth taking these risks for these reasons. And you can mitigate these risks in these various ways. And really what you're trying to do is to get like the risk, the biggest risks. Um, and maybe the way to think about this is, you know, there, there, there are two buckets of risks, like distribution and uh, product. Right. And you want to, you know, de-risk the biggest risk if, as quickly as possible. Yes. Uh, and kind of like learn how to mitigate them through, you know, the, the least time and work intensive manner, stuff like that. Exactly. And the order of operations matters right? The order in which you do these various things, there is an optimal cadence going back and forth that gets you to your ultimate goal of having addressed both risks in the shortest amount of time while spending the least amount of money and effort. Yeah. And, and the order of operations, if I, if I understand correctly, is set by what the biggest risk is. What the biggest risk is, but also, you know, sometimes it's low hanging fruit. How quickly can I assess this particular risk? But yes, all of the things being equal, you'd want to tackle the biggest risk first. Yeah, so it's like, hey, 
I, I like I'm writing down on a piece of paper uh, a, a business idea, and you know I'm going to start by writing down the whether there's a product because that's the biggest risk. Right. And then say, okay, well, before I invest a bunch of time into building this product and creating sketches and you know doing whatever else, I'm going to stay in the realm of ideas and so de-risking distribution. Yes. And then you might figure out actually distribution, you can't make it happen. So that, yes. now you didn't have to invest all the time to figure out the, the product. So, and maybe we can, I, I like this, we can come up with this framework here. I like something you said, the realm of ideas. And so maybe the stages are the realm of ideas, the realm of experimentation and the realm of production or implementation. So maybe the realm of ideas, the realm of experimentation and the realm of implementation. Yeah, that is like, I had this intern working with me and um, it's interesting because one of the things that she felt very uncomfortable with was staying mm -hmm. in the realm of ideas. Um, and I realized this is a mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make and that I've made, mm -hmm. which is to kind of like, feel that progress in the realm of ideas is not true progress. It's not actual work. Um, and, and you kind of have to build, you have to execute so, so that you're doing something, but it's like actually execution is, is friction. And if you can get away right. with learning without, without execution, that's, that's superior. Exactly. So this comes back to one of the core fallacies that a lot of people have, which is not necessarily wrong 100% of the time. In fact, it's right a lot, but is something that can cause a lot of problems for entrepreneurs. And that is the belief that effort is itself something that is desirable. So of course, work ethic, working hard, making an effort, those are all in general good things but it's results that matter and learning that matter. Effort is merely an input and fetishizing the input is a terrible mistake. I recently came across this, uh, the motto of Emperor Augustus, mm. um, who's you know, one of the, probably like the most successful person in history. I think it's kind of like him and uh, Alexander the Great um, yeah, I think I think that I think that Augustus does come out on top, largely because the empire lasted after his death. Yeah. The same would hold true for uh, for Genghis Khan, by the way, who was probably the greatest conqueror. It would be interesting to consider if maybe the first emperor of China could be considered in this category as well. Sadly, I don't know enough Chinese history to remember who the first emperor of China was, but that would be a great example of kicking off one of the great civilizations. Maybe the, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's like, uh, there are all these very famous civilizations, but if you want to get to the scale of the Roman empire, you really have to be looking at the, the Chinese empires. Most of the other empires are not even close. So, and it also turns out the um, motto of the Medici's. Mm. Um, but uh, anyways, I, I've been reading. Roman what is the motto? You, you're, you're, you're bearing the lead. Yeah. So the motto is Festina Lente, 
which essentially means um, make haste, but don't hurry. Oh, that's a classic John Woodenism. Yeah. Well, I think it's like more specifically like make haste slowly, but I mean, it's Latin, right? Um, yes. so, so, so it's hard to really know what the, um, what the, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of like meaning of the words but this is, is the, this is this is classic. So John Wooden, of course, is the most famous college basketball coach of all time. He led UCLA to I think ten or eleven national championships in a very short period of time, and was known as the Wizard of Westwood, probably the most revered coach of all time. And his saying was, "Be quick, but don't hurry." And what it means is, is really important to have that sense of urgency. It's really important to move with speed, but not to the detriment of actually doing what is going to be effective. So speed is a way of getting to effectiveness, but it is not effectiveness itself. So the, the um, I actually changed my LinkedIn uh, photo to um, a fresco on the ceiling of Ooh. a, a um, of a building in Florence that's supposed to represent this. And what it is, is a uh, turtle with a sail on its back. Interesting. And the concept I'm... is, you know, you're supposed to like create as, make as little effort as possible, um, but go as fast as possible. I see it. All right. I am, first of all, I see the LinkedIn Live. I'm watching myself on the LinkedIn Live. How peculiar. I've got to turn off the, the sound. Um, but I saw before the LinkedIn live thing took over the turtle with the sail on it. I'll have to go back later and look at the turtle with the sail on it. It's, um, yeah, I, I, I had never heard of this, uh, but it's, uh, you know, good encapsulation. And, and I think the kind of mistake is it's, it's like the ratio that matters, right? So yeah. you want to like get as much, you know, speed as possible for as little effort as possible. And then you want to put in as much effort as possible too. Um, right. So that's great. All right. I like that. So I've learned something today and I will take a look at it later on and maybe even write about it. Who knows? The value of uh, reading things are not business books, I guess. Absolutely. It's something I strongly and firmly believe in. By the way, I have a podcast recommendation for you, Julian. Oh, the podcast. You've never given me a podcast recommendation. So. This Please. is a podcast that I was pointed to by my friend, my dear friend, Rick St. John, who is a brilliant attorney and also just all around intellectual. And the podcast is called Fall, The Fall of Civilizations. And it only has, I think it has less than 20 episodes total because it takes so much effort to make each episode. And each episode chronicles the rise and fall of a particular civilization, such as the Han Empire in China, the Neo-Assyrian Empire, the Aztec Empire, and so on and so forth. And it is really fascinating. Uh, the narrator and producer of it does a fantastic job as a historian, and it's just thoroughly enjoyable. I think given your very eclectic interests, you would also enjoy it. I will check it out. I, um, well, I actually read more than average but i'm very bad at reading like i consume I, it's easier for me to consume content audio yep um it's interesting so i tend to read uh you know fiction 
in a like as a book and then nonfiction uh in audio form mm. um so anyways yeah and part of that makes sense because part of it is also when it comes to fiction you are being propelled by the plot that's why they're called page turners and you do not want to be restricted to audio speed you can proceed so much faster at reading speed at least i can yeah yeah, like the, the, the other thing about nonfiction is what I do, I, I mostly listen to it like while walking or at the gym mm -hmm. or something like that. And I tend to just like put it down and think about it quite a bit. Uh, so I go through it like really slowly, especially harder texts. So like, yeah. let's say one of the things I have in an audiobook is Thus Spoke Zarathustra by uh, Nietzsche. Yes, I've been listening to that for like two years, and I'm like halfway through because it's just so hard to think about it. It's very dense as well, um, mm -hmm. but you know, like most Nietzsche, it is pretty exciting, right? I mean, that's one of the best things about Nietzsche. It's eminently readable when it comes to philosophy, which is not true for a lot of other philosophers. Yeah, what I do both, I listen to it, and then I also print out chapters or short mm -hmm. chapters, as you know. And then I read them in the sauna ah. and it forces me kind of like, cause I spend like 30 minutes every day in the sauna. So it forces me to kind of like think about each chapter for 30 minutes and, and actually figure it out. Cause it's like on first read, you, you, you never know what he's talking yeah. about. You know, our friend Ben Kaznoka, as you know, is also a big sauna fan. I'm going to have to get into it. If the two of you are doing it, maybe I need to do it too. It's, uh, I don't feel clean unless I go in the sauna. Now you do the sauna and then you take a shower or yeah. do you take a shower and then do the sauna? Yeah. So I go to the gym and then after the gym, I go to the sauna um, and then I take a shower. Got it. But like, Very just cool. like the, I mean, visibly, like if I look at my like nose or like my pores, they are significantly cleaner, but also I just like feel like you, like my arms, like my whole body yeah. feel much cleaner. And I think it's like, so my wife doesn't do the sauna as much. I think she does more now, but mm -hmm. we went to a hammam in Turkey and the hammam people like really scrub you down. And they were like, they thought I was super clean and they thought Kelly was super dirty. So I don't know, like... <laughs> I don't know how much that's sauna related, but. Uh... Well, you, you could go for the whole ancient civilization experience, anoint yourself with olive oil and use the bronze scraper to clean yourself. Yeah, it's uh, but, but it really does make a difference. The, the sauna in my experience. Mm. Um, Excellent. OK, so, so really the like just to wrap this up before we go into the recording bit is we're doing like you're doing this dance between distribution and product mm -hmm. and what you want to do is uh, de-risk the biggest risk that you can most easily de-risk so you want to like with as little effort as possible remove as mm -hmm. much risk mm -hmm. sometimes that's from distribution sometimes that's from product but really um, you're mostly de-risking the distribution, the realm of ideas at first, and you're de-risking the product in the realm of execution, um, of, you know, in, in the early days, mostly. Is that, right. is that 
your thinking or would you add? I think, I think we begin with the realm of ideas and we shift to the realm of, ex of experiments and then finally to the realm of execution. And I think that individual features, individual elements of the product might go through the cycle at different times. I, oh, this is a new feature we're developing. Okay, well, first it begins in the realm of ideas, then it moves to the realm of experiments, and then finally to the realm of execution. Right, but you do get to the execution. Like you, you kind of like you need... get to the execution with you get to the execution on the product side sooner than the execution on the growth side, because it, Mike Maples is absolutely correct in the sense if your product is not good enough, you probably shouldn't start growing it, unless you are locked in a deadly competition with a serious competitor who is already growing and you're afraid that you won't be able to catch up with them if you don't go after them immediately. Because let's say you don't go after them and they manage to achieve their product market fit along the way, then you're locked out forever. Okay, so let's do this this um, thing. What I'll do is, uh, like, we'll, we should do the same introduction or just, like, say our names. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So pick a... But I will also say this, and again, this is a special bonus for those blitzscaling your blitzscaling a company raw listeners. I think that we should consider just doing one take and not doing the re-recording in the future. I personally believe that our conversation is interesting enough in its raw form and good enough in its raw form to not require the second go around. And I think that it's actually more energetic the first go around. Interesting. I mean, we could just do that now and save ourselves. Um... We could, uh, but I wanna hear what you're thinking about it. So I just feel like, you know, as you know, I barely prepare for anything anyways. And so we have this conversation and it is a sincere and complete conversation that's based on, you know, the topics of the day. And it also includes all these other fun things that maybe we feel like they're too informal for the recording, like a whole discussion of the sauna and everything like that. I actually think the listeners like that. And I think that we could probably be even more efficient and just do one recording. I, uh, I'm on board for that. I, I don't like... The, the, there are a couple of reasons to not do it that way, but I don't think that they, um, like, I, I think it, it nets out that you're correct. I, I'm happy to, like, ex like, outline the reasons to not do it that way, but al also... Um, well, for, like, the sake of, for the sake of the listeners, they can get an extra long episode. Why don't you outline those reasons? And you know, maybe you can convince me the other way. Maybe they're listening live. They're actually seeing these decisions being made. This is the stuff that Patreon subscribers are going to get early access to and really enjoy. And remember to go to patreon.com slash blitzscaling. Is I that a good live read? These, yes, I love all <laughs> these uh, call-outs. And I will also chime in with my own call-out, which is, please like this video on YouTube. So Excellent um, point. Excellent point. So describe the reasons why. I mean, I have some thoughts in my own mind, the main ones being that if we record a second time, we can have a clear thread and you'll have had time to sort of process into an overall hypothesis. So we begin with a strong hypothesis as opposed to getting to one at the end. And I think the other thing is that might make the recording slightly shorter which could be good for the listeners who want something fast. On the other hand, I think that the spontaneity 
of the conversation the first time often leads to a more interesting set of words coming out of our mouths. Yeah, so the, I mean, one reason on top of what you said is from a distribution standpoint on YouTube, mm -hmm. there's like this kind of gets broadcast as a live stream. Yep. And then they consider videos to be a separate thing. Mm -hmm. So we get like double the distribution when we clip it out and then put it on. So Can we clip from the live stream, the recording, and then go ahead and, and upload that to YouTube separately? Like we yeah. can edit the YouTube live into something that they would probably treat as a video. Correct. We could do that, but then just be like the same. It, it, feel, it feels to me a little bit contrived for the, for the viewers. Um, Not necessarily, so that... but what we could also, or what we could do if we really wanted to, is we could have a couple of special segments that we just talk about each week could be Julian's workout tips or what have you. And those would be extras in the live stream that they yeah. wouldn't get in the recording. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be something like that. Um, yeah. But I do think that you're right. Like actually this aligns with our goal of making this higher ROI for you. So it right. remove kind of like time from our uh, live stream. But I think it nets out that you're correct and that that's okay. what we should do. Great. Um, and, and that's what we should do, you know, right uh, now. Um, and uh, well, let's let's also check. You know, we always check to see if anybody in the chat has questions or other things we can well, do. That's one of the benefits for them of being on. So I, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't have any. Uh, unfortunately. Okay. All right. But um, and by the way, if you do have a question that you want answered, one of the ways you can do this is by joining the Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/blitzscaling, where we have a quarterly office hour session where you can ask your questions. And because we know who you are, Patreon subscribers will receive priority when asking their questions in the live stream. Yes, yes, that is one of the values. That's out, uh, one of the, uh, the, the things that's outlined in the membership or the, whatever it's called on Patreon. Um, one of the things I've realized with these streams, podcasting in general, one of the things I really love is the delight that Conan O'Brien takes in his various advertising reads. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why his podcast has been so successful. Because if you are a Conan O'Brien listener, you actually want to hear the advertisement if you haven't heard it before, because you want to see what crazy thing he's going to say. Do you know Norm MacDonald? Do you know who oh, that guy is? Oh, of course. The legendary Norm MacDonald, the brilliant comedian, the comedian's comedian, somebody who is respected throughout the industry. From Ottawa, which is where I grew up. Another great in the line of great Canadian comedians. And uh, anyways, there's this very, I don't know if you've ever seen it. If you haven't, you should... Um, look it up on YouTube. There's this hilarious thing about Norm MacDonald and the man grill, I think it is. And okay. um, if you look it up, it's the funniest oh, thing ever. Oh, yes, that's right. The man great. Yeah, man great. Exactly. This must be it. So I recall. So the man great was a product that was advertised very heavily on Adam Carolla's show. And I suspect that the clip might be from that show because Norm MacDonald was a frequent guest on the show. Well, no, well, the thing is, the Mangrate company, re, like, uh, they, they sponsored his show. Oh, Norm's show. Yeah. Mm. And then 
he did this promotion of it and it was a hilarious promotion but it was it, it, it was um uh like, like it wasn't super flattering to the mandrakes and then mandrake got super pissed off and they removed the um their sponsorship and there's this all this drama no sense but, of humor they should have leaned into it this was a perfect opportunity for them to demonstrate that they could roll with the joke Correct. If you just Google it, like you just look it up on YouTube, there's people who've made like compilations of like the whole Mangrate saga. Um, and it's absolutely hilarious. It's like the best, you know, podcast advertising. Um, I will you know, check ever. it out. I will absolutely check it out. There, there's another funny thing. Norm MacDonald had this podcast for a while. And, you know, in his first episode, he was like, why do we have cameras if it's a podcast? Because it was a very normal Donald, <laughs> which question. is very true. But it's because, as we know, if you take audio content and you have video with it, and you put it on YouTube, and you put it on YouTube twice live, and then in edited form, you get more traffic. Which is why my friend Ramit Sethi's "I Will Teach You to Be Rich" podcast has set up a YouTube channel, and you can find it at YouTube. I will teach you to be rich, and Ramit Sethi. I should I charge him money for that. Yeah. I didn't know that he, uh, like, I noticed he didn't have a YouTube when you yeah. liked him to me. Okay, so there's another thing I want to run by you, which mm -hmm. is my potential, uh, like, the potential business idea I'm working on right now. Okay. Here's a question I have, which is how appropriate do you think it is for me to do that, you know, live to, like, do you recommend that I do that during a live stream or, you know, Excellent question. not it appropriate? I would say it depends on the extent to which you believe that the idea is easily copied. So as we all know, ideas are a dime a dozen and people generally are unwilling to put in the work to execute it on an idea. And so my generic advice is it doesn't matter. You can talk about your idea. But... Not every idea fits into that category. So you should at least contemplate for a second, hey, is this something that's easily scooped where somebody could just do it? It's like something that doesn't require my special ability to execute, but it's just brilliant. I have one or two of these ideas that I've had over the years where I'm like, yeah, this is great and anyone could execute it and therefore I'm not going to talk about it publicly. That does happen. Yeah, well, there's this concept in Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, Mm -hmm. which is like every business is built on a secret or should be built on a secret. And I think, I mean, I haven't read that book in like 10 years, but I think, you know, his advice is essentially like talk about your business, but like you wouldn't talk about it super like publicly, like on a podcast because you don't want to like reveal your secret to your competitors. I don't know like what's, I lean more in the direction of most people aren't going to care if, if you spill the secret live. But in rare cases, it would actually make sense to not do it live. So, you know, what we could do is we could talk about it briefly offline sometime, not live. And then in like five or 10 minutes, we could very quickly decide whether or not that was the case. Yeah, let's. Without let's using up all the juice in the conversation. Yeah, let's because it feels like that might be the part that we would not cut out from, you know, like we could publish the part yeah. that doesn't include that. Um, yeah.
stuff like that. But for now, what we'll do is we will wrap up our uh, live stream. And um, if you have five to 10 minutes, Chris, I'd show this to you offline. And then uh, you, know, you can recommend what you think we should do in the future. That sounds like a plan. And by the way, don't forget that Patreon subscribers will get priority access to secret conversations between Chris and Julian. Go to patreon.com slash blitzscaling to sign up. So uh, thank you, Chris, you know, for your time. Welcome back from all your travels, although I think you're going to Mexico next week. Yes, but that's just three hours. I barely consider it travel. It's only one country over. I mean, come on, I'm not even crossing an ocean. And uh, you know, thank you to our uh, team, Jeremy, Schloak, uh, and Brendan for making all this possible. And thank you for everybody um, who uh, you know, is watching the show, all the supporters, and all our Patreon uh, patrons. And remember to you know, like this video and share it with anyone who's an entrepreneur that you think might uh, you know, benefit from it. Awesome. Thank you, as always, folks. Glad to be back. Okay, I'm ending the stream and...